Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's me, Stuart Fishbein, practicing home birth obstetrician, and I'm sitting in my home office, uh, just beginning a few days off. And uh, before I could take time off, there's been something that's been on my mind for a while that I sort of wanted to talk about. And that's the sort of the misinformation out there regarding the American Medical Association. Uh, the American Medical Association has this sort of gravitas instantly in the media of being a credible organization that represents physicians. And actually nothing could be further from the truth. And in an era where misdirection and misinformation and disinformation and malfeasance and misfeasance and every feasance of any kind is going on, um, it's hard to know who to go to to trust. But I just want to tell you that my experience over the almost 40 years of my career has been that the, at least in the last 20, that the American Medical Association is not what you think they are, and they're not somebody that's credible. And I wanted to go through a little bit uh, to try to explain to you, and maybe rather than just make a statement and then go off on my merry way, but to give you some background information. Some of you may have heard some of this before. Some of you may disagree with what I'm going to say, but I think it's worthwhile to hear um, this version. And I'd be open, obviously, to comments um, at your convenience through the messenger system. So I, I wanted to start by just saying that, again, the purpose that I'm doing this is because I watch news, I read articles, and I see things going on. And, and I, it's hard for me to just stand by and do nothing. Uh, I'm small. They're big. Um, I'm eventually going to be probably you know, censored or or uh, I guess it would be, um, disc what's the word? Uh, when you're kicked out of the church, discommunicated? No, not discommunicated. Um, well, I think you know what I mean. Uh, but I will never stop um, pointing things out uh, because it's my nature. It makes me feel good to do it. It's sort of cathartic for me. And, here, and so here we go. So in order to understand the AMA, we should probably first read its sort of mission statement. It was founded in 1847. And certainly the AMA of 1847 has nothing or looks nothing like the AMA of today. But it was founded in 1847. The American Medical Association is, is the largest. Not sure that that's true anymore. And only national association that convenes 190 plus state and specialty medical societies and other critical stakeholders. Throughout its history, the AMA has always followed its mission to promote the art and science of medicine and the betterment of public health. Keep that in mind as we go through some of the things I'm going to tell you today. Uh, they go on to say, as the physician's powerful ally in patient care, um, I will comment to you that they're not an ally in patient care. They have never been an ally in patient care in my lifetime. They're an ally in, in um, what's best for the AMA. Um, and generally, the patient and the small practicing physician are not something that they actually care about. 
BMA delivers on this mission by representing physicians with a unified voice in courts and legislative bodies across the nation, removing obstacles that interfere with patient care, leading the charge to prevent chronic disease and confront public health crises, and driving the future of medicine to tackle the biggest challenges in healthcare and training the leaders of tomorrow. This comes off of their website. You can all go there and read it. I wanna emphasize that they, again, we all know that this is bullshit. We all know that mission statements are often bullshit and people usually don't. I mean, sometimes it's funny to read, read them because they're so oxymoronic to what they actually do. Um, they say that they speak with a unified voice. Um, maybe they do. Maybe the five guys that sit around and put things out are all unified, but I have to believe that there've got to be people that belong to the AMA that are disgusted by what the AMA does and their voices are not being heard. So I want to start out by, uh, again, talking about who does the AMA represent? And I have a couple articles. This one's from 2016. And it says the AMA represents only about one sixth of all doctors. And right now it's probably about 14% instead of 17%, which it was in 2015. We're down to about 14%. So who are these people? All right. Well, their current membership back in 2015 was about 235,000. Um, but you have to adjust this number to remove students, retired doctors, and so forth. Based on publicly available data, estimating that about one fourth, excuse me, one fifth to one sixth of its members are not practicing physicians. So their number is actually quite small, all right? In the 1950s, about 75% of physicians belonged to the AMA, and now it's, we're less than 15%. And most practicing physicians I know do not belong to this organization. Uh, we'll hear more about that in a, in a little bit later. Keep this in mind when you hear that the AMA endorses a political position. Regardless of whether it's one you approve of or not, they represent only about one-sixth to one-seventh of all physicians in the country, the rest may have very different opinions indeed. Okay, um, in order to get members to the AMA, and again, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do this, but I got this in an uh, ad on my email the other day. This is an ad from the AMA saying that I can save $1,000 on a Mercedes-Benz E-Class 2021 uh, SUV if I join the AMA. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with recruiting people, uh, but if they're, again, I, if they're really good organizations, um, do they really need to be bribing you? We've, we've seen this sort of with the vaccine issue where if the vaccine's so good, why are they telling you that you can have free donuts or free lottery tickets? Or why are they threatening you that your life will change dramatically if you don't get the vaccine that you don't want or don't need? Um, I'm always suspicious when people start advertising. Part of the reason that Birthing Instincts podcast is my little thing is because at this point still, we don't have advertisers. And if we ever did have advertisers, you can be certain that the products that they advertise will be something that I endorse and use, or at least uh, have, have known of other people that use, and will never be something that will influence the content of what I put on the show. Um, so how can something so small, like the AMA, the membership of the AMA, be so influential? And so where does their money come from? And I sort of had this interesting analogy when I was watching the Olympics this past couple of weeks. Uh, I watched a few of the events and it was very weird to see nobody in the stands. And then I don't know if the, the Olympics is hemorrhaging money or not, but like other professional sports, which this past year had no fans in the stands, they all seem to survive and they survive because of corporate sponsorship. 
So in a way, they don't have to be responsive to their fans. They don't. They can do whatever they want because the money that they that keeps them moving, keeps them moving forward, comes from corporate corporations or uh, big donors. But it doesn't come from the individual. And so it is. It is with the AMA. The AMA makes a large percentage, and I I can't be sure the exact amount, but I'm sure it's over seventy or eighty percent of their money. Um, this is my opinion comes from the fact that they have the exclusive rights to the CPT coding um, that we all use to in order to get to bill insurance and get reimbursement. And I have the, I have the agreement that from 1983, and I just want to read some stuff to you about this. Okay, this agreement is entered in February 1st of 1983 between the Department of Health and Human Services Healthcare Financing Administration, further known as HICFA, which we talk about all the time, and the American Medical Association, thereafter known as the AMA. Whereas the AMA has developed, published, and updated a system of nomenclature for codes for describing medical procedures performed by physicians, which is commonly known as the physician's current procedure terminology, now in its fourth edition at that time, which was called CPT coding or current physicians, I mean, current procedural terminology. Just for reference, we, now, we are now in CPT 10. So, um, or we're in ICD-10. I actually don't even know what CPT we're in, but I think it's probably a similar thing. So there are new um, iterations of this coming out all the time. And every time there's a change in coding, every single person, every single insurance company, every single office that does coding or billing has to buy software updates. Who do they buy them from? Who has exclusive rights to that? The American Medical Association. Who puts, prints the code books that we have to use in our office? in order to look up codes, in order to bill for the things that we did. You know, 30, 40 years ago, somebody came in the office and we thought that was their visit was worth $100. We charged them $100, we paid, got paid $100. Now you have to break everything down into coding and it's an art and a science, I guess. And off, that's why people have office managers and office billers and private billing services to try to maximize reimbursement. In doing so, it, it's an expense for every doctor in the private sector, their office, or every even every big uh, entity has to have a billing section. And of course, when you have a billing section, they tend to um, sometimes, I'll be kind, no, nah, I won't be kind. Sometimes they bill fraudulently. They bill for things they didn't do. They'll upcode things. If you were there, saw a patient for 15 minutes, they'll say you saw them for 30 minutes. Because when something comes in and, and starts to regulate you to the point of sort of a fascist type overlording, people tend to go around them. That's just what they do, it's human nature. So the parties agree as follows, that's HICFA and AMA. HICFA shall adopt and use CPT4 in connection with, oh boy, HCPCS for the purpose of reporting physician services under medical, Medicare and Medicaid. HICFA agrees not to use any other system of procedural nomenclature for reporting physicians services. Two, HICFA shall publicly endorse the use of CPT coding, where permitted by HICFA's statutory authority and budgetary constraints, require the use of CPT coding, and encourage voluntary use of CPT coding in other instances. So the government is going to promote something that helps the government keep track of everything that happens to you so that your medical information is no longer really private, hasn't been for a long time, and the AMA profits because if they're they're a monopoly. Um, 
they shall be prepared in format approved in writing by the AMA, which includes appropriate notice to indicate that CPT coding is copyrighted material of the AMA. I guess that, that's another way of saying it. Both the AMA and HICFA will encourage health insurance organizations to adopt CPT coding for the reporting of physician services in order to achieve the widest possible acceptance of the system and uniformity of physician services reporting consistent therewith. So that's, again, the formal way of saying what I think I just said, which was, um, it's a way of keeping track of everything. Um, so if you want to get paid for something, you either have to pay cash for it outside of the billing service, or the government is going to know and the insurance companies are going to know everything about you. Okay. The editorial panel shall consist of 10 members with seven members nominated by the AMA, one by HICFA, uh, the Health Insurance Association of America, and the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association shall each also be invited to nominate one member. So in the process of this, a lot of people were excluded, including the 80% of private physicians that were excluded because they're not members of AMA, AMA HICFA, or the Health Insurance Association of America, Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Um, any person nominated to the editorial panel shall be a physician knowledgeable in the areas of medical procedure, nomenclature and coding and committed to maintaining CPT coding in accordance with the highest professional standards and shall be subject to the approval of the AMA Board of Trustees, although said physician not be, uh, need be a member of the AMA, okay? So the AMA has final say, gets sit on the board who decides all the things about the CPT coding stuff. And although you don't have to be a member of the AMA, I don't know how often that actually happens. Um, you know, if somebody wants to take the time to look up the, the uh, editorial panel for the coding, and find out who's on it right now, I'd be thrilled to do that. I just don't, I'm not gonna get into that. That's way too deep for me. Six members of the editorial panel shall con constitute a quorum. So technically speaking, they could, the AMA could convene a panel a meeting with six of their members and exclude everybody else. And they could still have a meeting that, that editorial that comes up with these new codes. During the term thereof, this agreement shall be applicable to the current edition of CPT coding as well as any subsequent additions, updates, revisions, and other modifications. This agreement shall be effective from the date of execution, which was in February of, 80, of 83 through September of 1983. Thereafter, it shall be automatically renewed on a year-to-year -year basis, except that it may be terminated by either party at any time by giving 90 days written notice thereof. I would just tell you that that's never happened, okay? So um, AMA continues to have a monopoly on the coding and make a huge percentage of their funding from that and not from their members. And when a, again, I'll reiterate, when an organization does not have to rely on its members for its financial support, then it has does not have to respond to their, their needs and their inquiries and their requests. And this is bad, this is really bad. This is like what's going on in government when people who run for office get their money from large donors, they have no real reason to respond to the constituents that they're supposedly there to represent. Um, the AMA can may continue to print, publish, sell, and otherwise disseminate CPT coding. The parties also acknowledge their joint interest in improving the efficiency and effectiveness of procedure, nomenclature, and coding systems. To these ends, and during the term of this agreement, AMA shall continue to convene the editorial panel, which is responsible for maintaining CPT coding. 
The editorial panel has the sole responsibility and authority to revise, update, and modify the CPT coding. All right, so that's where we've gotten to the point where it's gotten really, really down in the weeds. I mean, I, I lovingly and jokingly say that they now have codes for being bitten by a bird. And it's not only by a bird, but it's a specific kind of bird. Was it a parrot? Was it a uh, macaw? Was it a uh, cockatoo? Uh, and then by the way, there's another code for being bitten by the same bird a second time. So these are important things that the AMA is working on. And again, every time they change the coding, anybody using their coding has to buy a software upgrade. So I'll just leave it at that. So that, that's sort of where the AMA gets their money. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of their positions. And they, again, remember, they're supposed to speak with a unified voice that's in their mission statement. And um, so let's just see, because again, if less than 15% of doctors are in it, and many of those are medical students, residents, and retired physicians, are they really speaking for the, the physicians in the country? Um, okay, so the American Medical Association, and uh, back in, uh, I think this was in 2018, uh, this article was written in 2019, they are challenging the family planning rule put in by the Trump, uh, the Trump administration. And I have to say, by the way, that most positions, almost all positions the AMA takes, that the American College of OBGYN follows in lockstep. So um, this can, this, these things sort of apply to my own organization as well. The American Medical Association and Planned Parenthood filed a federal lawsuit. This is from the Associated Press, by the way. Uh, challenging a new Trump administration rule changing criteria for family planning grant money in ways sought by anti-abortion activists. Now, again, the Associated Press, I'm, I'm being nitpicky here, but the Associated Press would call people who are pro-abortion, would not call them pro-abortion, they would call them pro-choice. Um, people who are against abortion call themselves pro-life, but the Associated Press chose to call them anti-abortion. Anti-anything tends to have sort of more of a, a negative connotation. How can you be anti-something like that? It's just a use of language. And, and we'll see in some of the other things coming up, the use of language. Sometimes the language they use is so obtuse that I can't even understand it. The new rule would prohibit family planning clinics funded by the federal Title X program from making abortion referrals. Clinics that receive Title X grants also would be barred from sharing office space with abortion providers. Now, some of us may agree with that, some of us may not agree with that, but I can tell you that the country is pretty well divided on that as far as whether um, tax dollar, taxpayer money should be paid, used for abortion counseling or providing abortions. And it's certainly not uh, speaking with a unified voice to go into a legal brief with Planned Parenthood uh, against the, um, the Trump administration at that time. Planned Parenthood, which operates a nationwide network of health centers, says it will leave the title 10 program if the rule is implemented for going an estimated 60 million in annual funding rather than abide by the new restrictions. Uh, I don't think that was necessary, by the way. I think it sort of got tied up in legal stuff. I'm not sure that ever happened. And certainly if it did happen, it's been reversed on day one of the Biden administration, which I'm sure the AMA supports because the AMA tends to support more liberal left-wing positions as, do, as does almost all major large or, uh, organizations these days. It's very rare to find one. We're gonna discuss one at the end here today as an alternative, but ultimately I tend to, to uh, prefer left-wing positions. Um, 
Leanna Wen, who at the time was a physician and is president of Planned Parenthood, um, said that families that are struggling to make ends meet and people who live in rural areas must have the same access to full unbiased information from their doctors, everyone else. And she says that this would be blocked by this legislation. So she spoke out against it. Now, if you have been paying attention to the current COVID issues and the vaccine issues, you might recognize the name Leanna Wen. Leanna Wen is a spokesperson on CNN now that she's no longer president of Planned Parenthood who says that, that people who choose not to get the vaccine should be punished and we should make life more difficult for them. And I'm paraphrasing her quote, so I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. So here's a woman who thinks that, that we should make it easier for people to get funding for abortion, but we should make it harder for people who choose not to want to have a medical intervention that they don't want or don't need. So um, again, ideology trumps logic, it trumps science, it trumps everything. And the American Medical Association, like many organizations, has become ideological and not scientific. You'll see. The AMA has said it's two primary motives for challenging the rule. To prevent infringement on the physician-patient relationship and to protect the integrity of Title X. Okay. So, again, I have to sort of just pause. I hope that you guys hear what I'm saying when they say that they don't want to infringe on the physician-patient relationship. And yet the AMA and ACOG are telling us how physicians should counsel patients on vaccines and other medical issues and that they should counsel them and skew their counseling to get them to do what they want, but they don't want to interfere with the physician-patient relationship. You see where I'm going with this? I mean, hypocrisy is essentially not, not a big enough word. Okay, so um, that's Planned Parenthood. Let's look at the, another thing that just came out actually in May of, about the American Medical Association embracing critical race theory and rejecting meritocracy. For those who don't know, meritocracy means that you are um, rewarding people based on how hard they work and, and the success of their hard work and their grades and their, and their achievements. That's sort of what meritocracy means. But the AMA wants to get rid of that, okay? And this, to me, is another reason why the AMA is failing, because I think most people still believe in working hard and, and, and achieving your goal or achieving your dream. The American, in, in this article, um, this is from the Epoch Times, the American Medical Association, the largest national organization representing physicians and medical students, they keep saying that, I'm not sure it's true. Um, but again, that's, that's the way it's interpreted by everyone in the press, automatically thinks the AMA represents physicians. I'm hoping by the time you finish listening to this and forward this to your friends, I'm hoping you will, that you understand that the AMA does not represent the majority of physicians in the country. Uh, it will set aside its long-held concept of meritocracy in favor of racial justice and health equity. In an 86-page strategic plan, May 11th, the AMA set out a three-year roadmap detailing how the advocacy group will use its influence to dismantle structural and institutional racism and advance social and racial justice in America's healthcare system. Okay, um, I mean, some of us may agree with some of the things that, that are going on here, but the idea that this is a unified voice, that, that everybody agrees we should do away with meritocracy and that we have an institutionally racial um, uh, educational system that develops doctors, um, that, that's up for debate. According to its plan, the AMA will be following a host of strategies, including implementing 
racial and social justice throughout the MA enterprise culture, systems, policies, and practices, expanding medical education to include critical race theory and pushing toward, quote, racial healing, reconciliation, and transformation regarding the organization's own racially discriminatory past. So at least they're acknowledging that their past is racially discriminating, but I'm, I'd, I'd love to have some better examples of that. And again, a lot of us think that critical race theory is racist. All right, I'm one of them. I think that when you single out people by their race, um, for any reason, that is purely the definition of racism. There have been inequities, and we can control those inequities, but, but if we follow the teachings of those that propagate critical race theory, in order to re reconcile those past wrongs, we need to now be racist against somebody else. And that doesn't seem to make much sense, ethically or scientifically. The AMA also makes it clear that it now rejects the concept of equality and meritocracy, which have been goals in the fields of medical science and medical care. Equality as a process means providing the same amounts and types of resources across populations. Yeah, makes sense. Seeking to treat everyone the same ignores the historical legacy of disinvestment and deprivation through historical policy and practicing of marginalization and minoritizing communities, okay? Now, I'm not saying, again, that that's not true. I'm not saying, but I'm saying that the remedy is short-sighted. This is what we call stage one thinking in the, in the birthing instincts world, where we're gonna do something that's maybe never been done before, and we're gonna change something that's been around for a really long time because we think it's better, and we think this other thing stinks, but we really don't know what it's gonna do, and we don't know exactly how we're gonna do it, but we're gonna do it because it feels good and it sounds good. And what happens later is, not our concern. An analogy would be, let's stop the spread of the virus by locking down everything. And it really didn't stop the spread of the virus and it really causing divisiveness between people. And it destroyed a lot of businesses and, and around the world hurt the economies around the world. And it's okay because we meant good. While the AMA doesn't run America's healthcare system, it holds tremendous influence over medical schools and teaching hospitals, that's true that train physicians and other health professionals. Those institutes, the AMA says, must reject meritocracy, which it describes as a harmful narrative that ignores the inequity, excuse me, inequitably distributed social, structural, and political resources, all right? So I wrote this to myself. I said, by the way, the systems in place are their systems, okay? So they're saying the systems that they, the people that are running these things right now and the organizations like the AMA have put in place, they're calling them bad, racist, uh, outdated systems. So why are we expecting that the same people who've been supporting those systems up until they've, made, they've had this epiphany are now capable of fixing that? So maybe they should all just resign and give other people a chance to run the system. Um, th does anybody think that's going to happen? Okay, the commonly held narrative of meritocracy is the idea that people are successful purely because of their individual effort. I don't think it actually says that. I think people, well, I mean, maybe that's the premise, but I think people, there are people that have a leg up. They, you know, they have better schooling, they have just better genes, they have better intellect. So that isn't necessarily because of effort that sometimes you're, you're just born into it or get lucky. But Medical education has largely been based on such flawed merit, meritocratic ideals, and it will take intentional focus and effort to recognize, review, and revise this deeply flawed 
interpretation. Instead, the AMA suggests that we expand medical school and physician education to include equity, anti-racism, structural competency, I don't know what that means, public health and social sciences, critical race theory, and historical basis of disease. Well, that, that last one I, I agree with. Everything else I don't. Reads the document, which is loaded with critical race theory vocabulary. In a statement that accompanied the plan, AMA President Gerald Harmon said he is fully committed to the cause and called on the medical community to join the effort. We believe that by levering the power of our membership, our influence and our reach, we can help bring real and lasting change to medicine, he said. Okay. So I think Mr. Dr. Harmon is, is, lives in a, in a bubble, okay, because their membership is mostly retired people, residents and medical students, and academic physicians, right? They're not the ones actually doing most of the practicing. Again, if they have numbers that want to dispute the 70%, 80% non-members, fine, I'll be happy to stand corrected and, and we'll issue a correction. But I'm pretty sure, I don't happen to know anybody in my little circle that belongs to the AMA. And I know quite a few OBs and uh, none of them belong. And I, I know internists and you know I don't know them as well, but not too many pediatricians I know belong to the AMA either. So, um, the idea that they're going to leverage their power of membership? No, they're going to they're going to use propaganda and they're going to use the media who think that they're powerful to leverage their propaganda, right? Okay, so uh, we looked at that. We looked at critical race theory. Now the AMA is also in support of removing sex from birth certificates. Another, I think, view that is shared by 100% of the U.S. population that we should get rid of your sex on birth certificates. Not, okay. Again, going back to their mission statement, unified voice, right? How many people think that it's wrong to call a baby boy a baby boy and a baby girl a baby girl, and that it's detrimental to their future? But let's, let's, let's read a little bit about this. So maybe you'll change your mind when you hear what Dr. Arthur Kaplan, a PhD uh, from the Medical Ethics Division at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. Here's what he has to say. He says, this was just, out, this was just last month, uh, and this was in Medscape, all right? Birth certificates play a big role in our society. We don't think about it that much, but you, need, but you need it if you want to get a passport, public education, or a number of health benefits. There are many ways in which you need to have a birth certificate to get access to benefits, to be able to be a citizen or to be able to travel. It's a very important document. No argument there. Recently, the American Medical Association decided that sex should be removed as a legal designation on the public part of birth certificates. Okay. I have a lot to say on that, but I but it won't take it'll take a sentence or two. The American Medical Association doesn't think that the sex that you are born with matters, or at least that it shouldn't be on a document that you should be able to determine what sex you are in, in, in a little bit. And we're going to get to um, um, oh, I don't have that article here. I think uh, I'll have to find it. I think I talked about it on a recent podcast with uh, Barry Weiss's article about how misgendering, uh, misgendering, missexing people or not having the sex can really affect your, your um, medical decision-making. In other words, uh, if somebody comes in and they're actually a trans woman, 
um, they still have a prostate gland. And theoretically, they could have prostatic hypertrophy, prostatic cancer. And if you had no way of knowing that this person was a woman, I mean, it was a man originally, then you wouldn't be able to know that. Um, certain diseases run more in male, males than, than females. Um, even if you don't put it on the birth certificate, then if somebody later on wants to go back and look and find out something about themselves, they may not be able to find. There's so many reasons that this is so unscientific and unmedical. And I encourage you to listen to the, um, my um, summary of, of Barry Weiss's article on Substack in an upcoming podcast, or maybe it's already, that podcast could be out by now. All right. So he also says, recently the American Medical Association decided that sex should be removed as a legal designate, as a designation, meaning that you get a public document as an individual to take home, and then certain information is sent to the government agencies that track things like gender, sex, race, and ethnicity. This information is private. Um, is it? When the government has it, that makes it private? I don't know. There's been a lot of leaking going on. It's not something that people can publicly access. Oh, yeah? Is It's only there for record keeping. That would still exist. He has a lot more faith in government institutions and the integrity of people who work in those institutions than I do. The birth certificate that you take home doesn't need to have sex on it, according to the AMA. This decision was not taken lightly. There was a large amount of debate. Many doctors said, quote, over the years, I've been trained to put sex on the birth certificate. We do that by basically examining genitalia. It's something that historically has been part of a birth certificate. I don't see any reason to change it. Yeah, well, yeah, duh. All right. Well, the AMA supposedly representing in a unified voice, all physicians ignored these people completely and says that other people are arguing that we now have become more sophisticated about sexual identity and gender orientation. And we realize that sex is not simply a binary concept, all right? A couple things about that. Uh, since when did becoming more sophisticated, which you're self-labeling yourself, um, Dr. Kaplan, um, does that mean wiser? Does that equate with wisdom? I don't think being sophisticated in any any um, way, shape, or form means more more having more wisdom. Secondly, um, uh, as a correction, um, sex is binary, right? Gender is fluid, and gender can be what people want it to be, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the birth certificate isn't recording gender. The birth certificate is recording sex, and sex is binary. He says it's not just male and female. There may be people who are transgender, bisexual, who have characteristics of male and female. Yeah, we're talking about really rare um, things like testicular feminization or, or some other rare disorders. But ultimately, that there and there is a box for that, by the way, there is a other box. But ultimately, 99.99% of babies born have a penis or they have labia. It's something that historically, has, uh, excuse me, um, if you put one sex on there, it can be used and has been used to discriminate against people, stigmatize people, even sometimes punish people, right? But he doesn't give any examples of that. I wish when people say, make statements like that, they give an example of when a birth certificate, when it says that you've been, you were born a boy has been used to uh, discriminate against you or stigmatize you, all right? I don't know that happens. And by the way, even if it does happen on rare occasion, why is that a justification for throwing something out that's, that is scientific? Because you feel that, that that's not fair to that one person or that small number of people. We need to destroy all standards. And actually, 
I've just answered the question because that is their goal, is to destroy objectivity and destroy standards. He also goes on to say, I support the removal of this classification. I think it's old and out of date. We're more sophisticated, if you will, about sexuality being more of a continuum than it is a hard and fast binary distinction. I don't think it gets used for very much publicity, excuse me, publicly, except sometimes to discriminate, okay? I don't think that that's true at all, all right? I think that they say things that support their position, but I think that science and research would not support what he's saying, okay? Yes, everything gets abused, all right? Nothing is perfect, but science, is science, some science is actually settled, all right? Other science isn't settled, all right? Climate change science isn't settled. That there are two sexes is settled, all right? That we generate light, that the sun generates light is probably settled science. And it travels at 186,000 miles per second probably is pretty settled science, all right? I think the, and he says, I think the AMA is right. I think should we remove sex from public birth certificates and let people identify later as to what sex or what their gender orientation is going to be? I don't think it serves much of a public purpose. It's time to go. I'm Art Kaplan at the Division of Medical Ethics, New York University School of Medicine. Thanks for watching. Okay, well, I'm not Art Kaplan. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein again, and I'm a OBGYN, uh, home birth obstetrician. Uh, I'm entitled to my opinion as well, and I think Dr. Kaplan is full of shit. All right. Um, I will also say that I'm not alone in that they think that he's full of earth. Okay. Um, here's some comments. And I didn't really edit these. I just took top 20 or 30 comments from that Medscape article. Dr. Joshua Peterson says, absolutely absurd. One of the many reasons AMA will never get a penny from me. Marguerite Dillon said, you can tell that people have been cooped up with nothing better to do for the past year than to try and reinvent biology. Dr. Spirey May says, in a span of a decade or less, we are trying to wipe out what has been true since the dawn of time, excuse me, the dawn of man and true science. XX is XX, XY is XY, everything else is a deviation from the norm. Dr. James Garris, I am so stunned I have to turn to my friend Samuel Clemens. That's Mark Twain for my, <laughs> for my loving but illiterate friends. Sometimes I wonder whether the world is being run by smart people who are putting us on or by imbeciles who really mean it. Okay. Please remind my, me to never send my children to any school Dr. Kaplan teaches at. This is propagation of materialist dogma by an unsuspecting citizen at best. Oh, and by the way, sex should still be listed on birth certificates with only two choices. That's from Dr. Daniel Michaels, Dr. Terrence. By the way, I wish that all these people would have said, I am an AMA member, I am not an AMA member. None of it says that, but well, it's actually, there are a couple that says one. Here's Dr. E Eric Weidenbenner says, sorry about their name. This confirms why I stopped paying attention to the AMA 20 years ago and why they emphasize politics over medicine. Um, Dr. Terrence McGee goes a little bit uh, uh, satirical. He says, I don't get it. Why do so many of you insist on viewing me as a six foot five inch Caucasian man that weighs 230 pounds? I'm a five foot Chinese woman and I'm not even 45 kilograms. Stop being such haters. Um, 
Dr. Ar Arthur Santora, birth certificates have one purpose, confirmation of a per person's identity. Perhaps people would feel more comfortable with the term anatomic sex rather than some other similar term. Okay. Dr. Kenneth Abbott, we are not becoming more sophisticated about matters of gender and human sexuality. We are becoming more confused and irrational. You know what? And on and on and on it goes. I've got uh, five pages of these. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to read them all. But you can find that on Medscape, and then you can go read, your, read the um, comments yourself. Okay, what else is the AMA up to? That's unified. <laughs> that speaks for all, all physicians. I, now, I'm not expecting them to speak for all physicians, but, it, but unified probably should mean the majority, don't you think? And they should try to avoid topics that might alienate a good portion of it. That's not a unifying thing to do. So why are you taking positions on things you don't necessarily need to take positions on? Oh, because you're a political organization, not a medical advocate, not an advocacy for, for medical care. Or what, what is it that you said? You called yourself um, leading the charge to prevent chronic disease and confront public health crisis and driving the future of medicine to tackle the biggest challenges in healthcare. I guess the biggest challenges in healthcare now are what goes on a birth certificate and um, critical race theory and not hypertension, diabetes, twin gestation, breech delivery. Now, those things are not really that important. I know they're important to our group. So, so this one's about, um, this is from the Green Journal. So this is ACOG, all right? So as I said, ACOG and AMA often are lockstep. Um, ACOG's got an editorial out or a commentary out by a bunch of physicians. Uh, the leading physician is from the University of Michigan named Helen Kang Morgan. And this was in last, this month's Green, August uh, Green Journal of 2021. The title is called Promoting Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the Selection of OBGYNs. All right, in obstetrics and gynecology, the percentage of black residents has decreased in the past decade. The ideology for this troubling decrease is unknown. Really? Hmm. I'm not sure that it's unknown. I think that they make statements like that. I think if they really, search, they might be able to figure some things out. But of course, their determination is that racial and ethnic biases inherent in key residency application metrics are finally being recognized as part as one of the causes. So it might not be the breakdown of the family. It might not be maybe going to medical school isn't something that certain ethnicities or races want to do. You know, it might not be any of those things. Let's not explore any of those things. Let's not go and ask into the communities and ask. Let's assume it's systemic racism. Now is the time for action and for transformational change. And I, by the way, I'm not saying that there isn't. Of course there is. Of course there are biases. There have always been biases, right? And we'll get to some of them in this article because, I mean, I'm just trying to point out the fact that the AMA and likewise other organizations like ACOG do not represent who they say they represent and do not represent who the media says they represent. And it should be very important. So when next time you hear the media quoting the AMA as something that represents physicians, you know that that's, again, to be sweet is bullshit. Okay. Now is the time for action and for transformational change to rectify the factors that are detrimentally affecting the racial diversity of our residents. This will benefit our patients and learners with equitable healthcare and better outcomes. Okay, so here's something that I, I, I it's a non sequitur. Rectify the factors that are detrimentally affecting racial diversity will improve outcomes, okay? How do they know that? 
How do you know that? That's a presumption. That's commentary. That's opinion. All right. And yes, this is a commentary article, but these things are not stated as in our opinion or whatever. They're stated as, as dogma. All right. So, you know, they're getting rid of things like grades and test scores, you know, but how about, how about improving inner city schools? How about not having like 5% of kids graduating from some inner city schools competent in reading and math, right? How do you, how do you, how do you expect them to get into medical school or get through college to get to, you know, to apply for medical school if they can't get through high school, right? So, but that's, you know, that's systemic racism. By the way, that systemic racism, if it is systemic racism in the public school system, who runs the public school system and who's been running it for the last 50 years? And why are we continuing to let the same people who supposedly have a systemically racist school system continue to dictate how we run the school system, demand more money, not go back to school, demand your kids wear masks, all these things. Same people, same people that are inherently, must be inherently racist are now claiming that the system is racist and we're the ones to fix it, but we destroyed it in the first place. You, you know, it's going to eat enough to blow your, you to have your head explode. All right. Our current policies, institutional practices, and cultural norms perpetuate structural racism in our society, education system, and healthcare. So, structural racism is a term that's you know relatively new, and I thought I would just look at that. I looked it up in the dictionary, and it says structural racism refers to the totality of ways which societies foster racial discrimination through mutually reinforcing systems of housing, education, employment, earnings, benefits, credits, media, healthcare, and criminal justice. These patterns and practices in turn reinforce discriminatory beliefs, values, and distrib distribution of resources. So again, if that's true, and if we have a structurally racist system, all these people that are in Congress right now, all these people, your mayors of your cities, the people in city council, the people sitting on school boards, the people that are participating in this structurally racist system ought to quit and resign and go home in shame and somebody else should be able to come forward, but they're not. They're all begging their mea culpas and they're all trying to show overly overreacting about how woke they are for lack of a better term. It's dangerous, it's dangerous. Okay, um, so she says, um, first we improve patient outcomes with racial concordance between physician and patients, um, that, and that has been widely demonstrated that when you have physicians who look like their patients and vice versa, you have improved patient outcomes. Now, they say that it's been widely reported, but you know what? The references they give there did not say that, okay? Um, hang on a second, I gotta read my handwriting here. All right, yeah, so I wrote that that, that may be so, but then does that work both ways? So we need more black physicians to take care of black patients. And that may do some good, or we may need more Native American physicians to take care of Native, Native American patients or Asian physicians to take care of Asian patients. Um, although they would tell you that there's too many Asian physicians as it is, and but they don't bring up Asians. They only bring up whites in this article. Um, interestingly, I think that the um, the person who wrote the article is, is Asian. So I don't know if that means anything, but it's, it's, it sort of makes me laugh a little bit. But then you have to ask these people who are very bright, obviously, they've made it this far. Um, does it work the other way? So should black physicians not be taking care of Asian patients? 
should Asian patients not be able to take care of Caucasian patients? Should male physicians not be able to take care of female physicians? Should Jewish physicians only take care of Jewish patients? Where does the division of race, gender, and class stop with these people? That's a rhetorical question. I don't know that we'll have an answer from them, but it just, for me, highlights the absurdity of what they're, what they're trying to do. Again, they're trying to do a Michael Moore. Michael Moore, uh, I think it was in the 2016 election, was asked, um, or maybe, no, it's probably way before that. He was asked something about the current healthcare system and because he had made a, a documentary, I think about the Cuban healthcare system, or maybe it was Sicko, it was called Sicko. And he was asked about the American system and he said, it's terrible and we need, it needs to be replaced. And the reporter said, so what would we replace it with? And his, his, his comment was, and you can find this on YouTube, we haven't thought that up yet. That was his comment. So in other words, let's tear something down before we have something to replace it. And again, I don't know what these people who want to tear down meritocracy have to replace it with. I don't think that they've thought it through. Um, she also says, she goes on to say, um, this author and her co-authors, Finally, it has been well established that diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams in terms of innovation and productivity. Okay. I don't know where she says that. I don't know where that comes from. She cites one paper and that paper is a theoretical paper only. I actually went and read it, um, the citation. It does not say what she just said it says. She does not give an example of how uh, well established that diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams. But she says it, and it's in the Green Journal. And of course, the Green Journal is peer reviewed. So is it that all, did anyone raise these questions when it was being peer reviewed? I tried to submit articles once to, appear, uh, to the Green Journal, had a nice conversation with the former editor, Nancy Cheshire, at that time. And she said, uh, Dr. Fishbein, nobody's ready for your stuff. You'll never get through, through peer review. And even though my stuff is honest and were, was either a case report or a clinical series, um, didn't, I didn't come up with artificial theories or you know, uh, misstatements of fact. I just presented data. Um, uh, it wouldn't go through peer review, yet here's a statement of opinion without any data. And it's, it's, it supports the position that the leaders in ACOG and the AMA want to have, and therefore it is immediately accepted. It's a form of censorship in a way because it's not allowing people with diverse opinions to express themselves. And I think there are probably many people who even do belong to the AMA who disagree with many of the things that I've just told you that the AMA is doing, and yet their voices are not heard and nor would they be heard. Uh, they go on to say the four factors most commonly cited by residency program directors as influencing the decision to select applicants for interviews were one, the United States medical licensing exam, step one, score. Um, the um, letters of recommendation, the medical student performance evaluations, and the clinical, excuse me, and the clerkship grades, all right? Now they had higher scores on the, on the US medical licensing exam among white male applicants, all right? Again, pointing out that white males had higher scores. Maybe true, maybe uh, it has to do with institutional racism. Uh, I would be willing to bet you that Asians had higher scores than white males, and Asians were not mentioned in here. And are Asians, are there, is there institutional raci racism against Asians? 
because there's discrimination against Asians in job hiring and, and, and uh, um, school applications and enrollment, they seem to be doing just fine. So maybe it isn't just the system that's a problem. Just food for thought. I know that some of you are gonna be really pissed at me and some of you are gonna unfriend me, but, it, but it, we live in a time now where we just can't sit back and not say stuff. You know, I posted a thing on Instagram a while back about a, a baby getting a nasal swab. Maybe some of you saw it and it was pretty brutal. They stick the swab in somewhere between four and six inches into the back of the baby's nasal pharynx and they swab and, and, the, and the baby doesn't look sick. So I think they're swabbing either as a demonstration or they're swabbing for, you know, um, a wellness test for, uh, you know, respiratory syncytial virus or whatever, but they want to make COVID testing in children mandatory, right? And I posted this and 99.9% .9 of the comments were, this is horrendous, this is awful, uh, I can't stand this, where, where are we going, blah, blah, blah. But yet one person who was a follower of mine, sort of maybe still is, I don't know, uh, pointed, you know, was, was, took exception to the fact that, that what I was posting was propaganda, okay? And by the way, I, I didn't say it wasn't propaganda, but I said, first of all, why is one side using propaganda okay, but the other side not using propaganda? Why is it okay to show a beautiful young college student smiling with a blue Band-Aid on her arm saying that I just got the jab? That's okay, but propaganda used the other side. And maybe it is propaganda, maybe, but maybe it is just that brutal. I don't know. Um, anyway, my point being is that there's a lot of things that are leaving, specifically leaving out there in, in, in this paper and in, in all the things they point out that, again, there, there's a cognitive dissonance or uh, maybe it's confirmation or selection bias. They pick out the things they want to point out and they purposely omit the things that, that, that don't support their narrative. Okay, so then she goes on to say, the value of these assessment scores has not been shown to correlate with clinically measured outcomes of physician performance in obstetrics and gynecologic residency. And I would say that's absolutely true. The test scores do not tell you what kind of physician you're going to be. And I'd like to see something, an alternative to that. But the hypocrisy continues because the AMA is all for mandating that people be, have, be board certified, and so is ACOG, in order to participate in the, in the organized medical community. All right. Never been a paper that shows that being board certified makes you a better doctor. Just as never been, just as they're saying, there's no clinical correlation to, to uh, these test scores and being a, and being a better doctor. So they support it when that when it suits them, and they don't support it when it doesn't suit them. Because ultimately, board certification is a way for the American Board of Medical Specialties, many of these same people who belong to the AMA and ACOG, uh, to make a lot of money to feel like they're doing good by regulating my profession. When again, they have no evidence to support what they're doing is actually making healthcare safer, all right? Um, it goes on, sorry. If an applicant is offered a residency interview, challenges continue, beginning with the format of the interview day. Uh, at the University of Michigan, applicants may experience microaggressions, isolation, tokenism, and triggering of imposter syndrome during these high stake days, okay? I, I'm not sure of what all that stuff is. I probably should look that up because I should know. 
The authors also describe widespread homophily, defined as a tendency for individuals to be drawn to other individuals who are similar to themselves. Yep, that's probably true. Okay, but it works both ways. All right. If uh, you know, if you're a, a minority a, a physician and you're interviewing a white applicant, maybe you're going to be biased against that white applicant. I'm not saying that that's good or bad or indifferent. I'm saying, do they really think they can legislate out human nature? How are they going to do that? What are they going to replace it with? Again, the same people that have created the systems that they say are are are, are shit. Okay, are now telling you how they're going to make them better. Don't believe them. Okay, do not believe them. Okay. Um, lastly, I just want to read a paragraph because um, to emphasize what I say is is a new language in healthcare, and we've talked about this on the podcast, Bliss and I, before about how they talk in a language that doesn't make sense. It's kind of like trying to read a contract or a, a mortgage application, whatever. I mean, the party of the first parts is the party of the second part, and blah, 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 for this forward, from heretofore known, but you know, not limited, but but the, to these things, but not limited to, and all this language that you just can't understand. So see what you see if you can follow, okay? So they have a call to action. The American, excuse me, the Association of Professors in Gynecology and Obstetrics, never heard of them, and the Council for Resident Education in Obstetrics and Gynecology have partnered to improve the medical school to residency transition with the American Medical Association Reimagining Residency Grant Program. So here we got the American Medical Association back in it again. It's called, quote, the grant program called Right Resident Right Program, Ready Day One, unquote. Through this work, we aim to lead transformational change to rectify the factors that are detrimentally affecting the racial diversity of our residents as well as how we prepare and support all learners throughout the medical school and the, this major transition. The decision by the National Board of Medical Examiners to remove the three-digit step one score reporting presents an opportunity for re-envisioning our residency screening and selection processes to define factors aligned with residency success, optimal patient care, and career satisfaction and retention. These are long sentences, by the way. Maybe that's part of the problem. It's just that they're run on sentences. Ideally, holistic review of applicants should screen for metrics, experiences, attributes, and alignment with program priorities. In addition, biases in current metrics such as clerkship grading must be addressed and more equitable medical school award selection processes must be created. Situational, situational judgment tests offer promise as a prospective way of measuring professionalism and communication competencies for graduate medical ed education selection. Okay, now reading it a second time, it's still confusing to me, it's a little more clear. But I would have to say when they talk about making all these changes is who decides what's equitable? Who's gonna make these decisions? They, them, of course it's them, right? You know, they create the system when it doesn't work, they, they tear it down, and then they say they're the only ones to fix it. Reminds me when the banks crashed back in, I think, 2008, all right, with the stupid home loan stuff where they were loaning people money from homes. They made it a law that banks had to loan money to people who couldn't afford homes, and the whole thing came crashing down. And then the same two guys, uh, uh, Chris Dodd and Barney Frank, um, were assigned the job, the same people that put the, the law in place that ruined everything, were assigned the job of fixing it. 
So it, it, stuff never, never really changes, okay? All right, lastly, um, just about lastly, and thank you again for staying with me this whole time. I just thought this was gonna be like a 20 minute video and I just got carried away. Um, is the, uh, I wanna just say, is the AMA really the voice of physicians in the US? And I wanna read an essay by Linda Gerges, MD. Linda Gerges is a uh, family practitioner in South River, New Jersey, and a fellow of the American Academy of, of Family Medicine. Uh, and she writes, the American Medical Association in summary, this is my summary. I'm using her summary as my summary. Why reinvent the wheel when somebody does it really well? The American Medical Association is all over the media as representing the voice of doctors. Even politicians cite AMA statistics in driving healthcare policy. But the fact is physicians disagree. We do not believe the AMA represents us in anything and doctors left their memberships in large numbers in fact, it is estimated that only 15 to 18% of doctors in the United States are paying members of the AMA. In one study conducted by Jackson and Coker, only 11% of physicians who responded believe the AMA stands for the views of doctors. Perhaps the biggest example of how doctors lost their trust in the AMA is the way they are funded. With less than 20% of US doctors paying membership dues, it is apparent they secure funding from other sources. One of their biggest streams of revenue is their profits from selling billing coding insurance and other products. Most doctors disagree with the CPT-10 billing transformation. Yet the AMA continues to profit hugely from selling these products despite our protests. Clearly doctors' opinions have been shoved underfoot in their quest to drive profits. Um, the AMA is very effective in lobbying. One of the greatest examples can be seen in the SGR, which stands for Sustainable Growth Rate Debacle playing out over decades. They were unable to change or influence any policy change. Oh, did I say effective in lobbying? I said the AMA is very ineffective in lobbying. I wanna correct that. In fact, doctors feel that they sided with the politicians more than with the practicing doctors. Yes, that's absolutely true. We all felt that way. And we used to sit in the doctor's lounge and discuss it. Again, we are not representing, we are not represented by the AMA here. Doctors feel abused by insurance company policies. Reimbursements have been shrinking, and often we are fighting to get paid for services we have provided. Here too, the AMA has offered no help or little help. This is perhaps one of the biggest factors driving doctors out of private practice, yet they stand mute on slowing down the flow of doctors out of their own practices. Mandates coming out of the government are intruding into the practice of medicine. The AMA does not hear doctors' concerns here, but rather stands for itself. They throw their weight behind the politicians they chose rather than the mass of physicians. We feel the AMA would sell us out in a heartbeat. Well, they have sold us out in a heartbeat. The media often quotes the AMA as being the voice of doctors. Yet, as they said, less than 15% of physicians in our country are even members. When doctors see these things in the media, it further tears down our trust because we have not been asked what we, where we stand on the issue. The media are lazy, I'll just add that. They're, they're absolutely lazy. There are other organizations out there, and I'm gonna finish talking about the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons in a second um, as an alternative to the AMA. And I, I, but they're rarely quoted. They're becoming a little more popular as are America's frontline doctors, as are physicians for informed consent uh, to which I'm a member. Um, but right now we don't have any trust in the media because they just pull somebody from the AMA and then they use that because they're lazy, effing lazy. While they are speaking up, they are representing us. 
While they're speaking up that they are representing us, no, they're not. And the media and general public need to learn that the AMA no longer represents the majority of doctors in the United States. Perhaps it's time for them to investigate what they have done to drive doctors away. Right, the same people that drove doctors away will try to figure out how to bring doctors back. That's gonna work. Definition of insanity, people. The landscape, the healthcare landscape in the US is rapidly evolving. Many changes appear that are harmful to our profession and patients alike. Doctors have no organization that truly represents what we are going through and none to truly drive beneficial reform. While doctors burn out from lack of guidance and enforce compliance with unreasonable mandates and guidelines, driving insurance company profits, the MA speaks out while ignoring our plight and our voices. The MA is not the voice of doctors and it's time that people stop recognizing them as something other than a political organization shaping reforms and selling products off the backs of doctors for their own agenda and profit. Does anyone know an organization that is willing to stand up and be the real voice of doctors and help mold real healthcare reform? Signed, uh, Dr. Linda Gerges. And I do, I do. Uh, I, I mentioned America's Frontline Doctors and I mentioned Physicians for Informed Consent. And I'd just like to mention the one or other organization I belong to, which is the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. They put out a newsletter and they put out a, a, a journal once a, uh, once a month but they are advocating for the private practice physician. Just as AARP represents seniors um, or says to represent seniors, but they really don't, they sold out seniors, they're a corporate entity representing themselves. You know, they make lots of profits off the things they sell to seniors. They backed Obamacare when it wasn't really a good idea for seniors at the time, uh, raised their costs, made it more difficult for them to seek some certain types of care. Um, against the advice of many physicians. So there's an organization called the AMAC, A-A-M, no, excuse me, A-M-A-C, the Association of Mature American Citizens, which is now as being 65. I think you only have to be over 50, but as being 65, I belong to this organization. I don't look at their benefits and stuff. I just give them money because uh, I support the fact that they do lobby for what the private patient needs and wants. They, that's what they look for. They're the opposite. There's sort of the conservative choice to the left-wing um, ARP or AMA. And as is the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. And I just want to finish by saying this is what real advocacy looks like, all right? The AAPS issued the following statement in response to planned home visits by ambassadors from the Biden administration. Um, this may be, I don't know if this is still going on, this may be moot by the time this plays, but this was going, is going on now. Goes like this, the Biden administration has announced plans to send agents, quote, door to door, unquote, in order to get remaining Americans vaccinated by ensuring they have the information they need on how both safe and accessible the vaccine is. I'll just pause there while everybody catches their breath, seeing what's going on lately with the vaccine. A leaked script from the Lake County Health Department in Illinois tells the community health ambassadors to keep track of the addresses and responses from a residence, from residents in a door knocking spreadsheet. All right. So these ambassadors have a door knocking spreadsheet. How do they have a door knocking spreadsheet? That's interesting. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons makes the following observations. The US Constitution provides no authority for the federal government to be involved in medicine. For example, by recommending, promoting, or mandating treatments. If the ambassador knows a person's vaccination status, the government has already been collecting personal health data and sharing it with agents having nothing to do with the person's care. 
a violation of the Fourth Amendment. The Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, HIPAA, will not protect you. It allows very broad disclosure to government officials. States have the lawful authority to regulate the practice of medicine, but the ambassadors are evidently not under any constraints regarding training, credentialing, documentation, or scope of practice, although they are collecting data and giving medical advice without supervision. Even medical assistants and medical scribes need to meet certain qualifications. Ambassadors are promoting an experimental product with no information on risks. Even if, an FDA, if a product is FDA approved, advertisers and medical professionals must divulge risks, must divulge risks, such as heart inflammation, paralysis from Guillain Barre or other causes, miscarriage or death. Contrast the ambassador's script with its disclosures on your television ad for a drug, say one to treat your dog's heartworm. In the opinion of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, the AAPS, this door-to-door -door solicitation violates the ethical principles of protecting confidentiality and informed consent. Health professionals need a patient's implied consent even to be seen. They may not simply show up uninvited at a stranger's home, okay? The MA is for this. The MA is for mask mandates. The MA is supportive of the CDC lockdowns. The AMA is supportive of vaccine passports. The American Association of Physicians and Surgeons is for individual liberty and autonomy. They are against all mandates, all medical mandates, which is their, their, their purveyance, in a free country. So I will just leave it with that, all right? So we have, I've, I've taken this time out of my day, much time to go through all these articles and stuff. I, like you, probably have many better things to be doing I'm hoping that you're listening to this, driving your car or doing something fun, being outdoors, maybe on a hike, um, because I think you've given me well over an hour of your time here. Uh, I hope you find it useful. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here is that we are being gaslighted beyond belief to think that these organizations represent us, to think that even our local politician represents us. They represent their donors, the people that give them money. And we're, we as individuals are going to have to take it back. We're going to have to put good people up in, in elections. We're going to have to hold them to account. Uh, we should have term limits. We need to not believe what we read in the newspaper or on television or see on television. We need to follow certain reporters, certain journalists that we trust. Some of them may be biased. That may be true. But... Um, if they've given you information that turns out to be false more than once, I mean, everybody makes a mistake sometimes, but repeatedly making mistakes is not a mistake, all right? A mistake is when you turn left rather than turning right, okay? A mistake is not telling you that masks don't work and then masks work and then we're gonna lock you down for two weeks and we're not gonna lock you down for two weeks then it's gonna be two months and it's gonna be a year and a half and then it's gonna be forever. Um, and, you know, these sorts of things, this is not, this is not a mistake. The AMA does not have your best interests, does not have my best interests at heart. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that because that was my purpose. So thanks for listening, everybody. And I'll uh, either see you in the office or see you on the hiking trail or see you at the next uh, Birthing Instincts podcast. 
Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 